this dude is sitting at home watching TV one day, and he's watching folks like bungee jump and stuff. He's like, you know, I, I really want to do something with my life. I think I'm going to do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to do that right now. This old boy gets him a hose. All right, this old draw-rotted hose. I mean, it's, you know, middle of summertime. He climbs up on top of a single wide, and, you know, you've got, like, the little soffit vents for your plumbing that kind of come out the roof, you know? Yeah. He tied one end around that hose to that soffit vent, tied the other end around his ankles, and just did just like this, and just kind of jumped off the side of the, the, the trailer, you what? know, nice little 12-foot drop. Uh-huh. I'm a 25-foot uh, hose. You know, so I get down there, you know, and this guy's like picking his eyelashes off and eating them and stuff. I don't know where he's at. I mean, you know what I mean? It's crazy. What is going on, guys? Dr. Jared Nelson in this house, the podcast, The Better Man, where you can never be perfect, but you can always be better. Today, we have two very special guest with us today one guy i'm going to introduce first he's been on the podcast more than anybody uh so far we got him back again the veteran kevin thrasher what's, what's going up on? man you yeah. just can't get rid of me can't get rid of you you're staying in man uh, i love we'll it you, i, I love I, this I, you're always ringing good info man i'm i'm happy to have you in again the second guest we have another special guest with us today his dad was in episode seven gonna put that in the link in the description if you want to check that out the legend Clark Thompson. Oh my God! Oh, What's yes. going on, dude? Here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening? Yeah, so glad to have you in, dude. Uh, gonna cover a lot of stuff. So, Clark, I start you out with this, and you said you usually interview people, so this is different for you, me interviewing you, right? It is. It's uh, a little bit. So you're in the gym, you're chilling, and somebody sees you. You're at the grocery store. They're like, yeah. "I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? Who are you? What do you do?" All right, my name is Clark Thompson. I'm the first of all, I'm a dad. All right. Did I break it off again? Did I move my mouth again? No, you're good. This is you're kind good. of weird. You're Sorry. Good. All right. I don't know what to do. You're good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, definitely at the gym with the boys every morning. You know, and um, people I that I don't know. If I'm probably not going to see you anymore, there's what do you do? I'm like, well, I work in waste management. Mm. Okay. Uh, but no, I'm um. I'm a police officer here in town and, and, um, try to, you know, put bad guys away and protect innocent people. Mm-hmm. We're definitely going to get into the law enforcement thing, do a deep dive and everything. How long have you done a uh, law enforcement total? Um, since March of 2003. Oh, wow. So here in a couple of weeks, it'll be about, about 21 years. 21 years, man. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. Thank you for your service. I appreciate that. It's a big deal. I mean, uh, probably what you had to go through and all that, it's, it's a lot, you know, dealing with the general public. It's, man, it's mm-hmm. changed so much over the years. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. We're going to get into that. Uh, law enforcement, we got uh, Drumline. We talked about Drumline a lot in the podcast. You were in the 2000. 2000. Yeah, he was there from 96 to 2001. Right. He was... He was in my first line that I was ever involved with. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a different generation uh, of drumline. We all know who the best drumline was, though. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're we going to go. get into that. But anyway, we'll yeah. get into all that later. <laughs> so I want to start with this uh, mentorship. So when, okay. I, when I got this podcast together, this episode, <clears throat> something really big that we discussed kind of off camera um, is that Kevin is a big mentor to you. Yes. Um, kind of share a little bit about that, kind of what mentorship as a whole what it means to you and how important it is. Okay, cool. That's I mean, that's super duper easy. So me and Kevin's been friends since I was in the eighth grade. 
And so what that looks like is Kevin saw me as a teenager. I mean, Kevin, you were young. I mean, you're in your I started 20s. when I was 22, right. 23, so, somewhere in there. But here's the deal. Every year in high school, Kevin was around, spent a lot of time with us. And it's one thing to be like, hey, I'm going to be your drum instructor, or I'm going to be your math teacher, or I'm going to do something with you. But it's another thing when a guy comes up to, hey, Clark, hey, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? And that's all you got to ask. And that people will tell you, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Kevin got to know me. Kevin gave a crap. All right. Kevin gave a crap, mm-hmm. especially in pivotal years, you know, coming out of middle school, going into high school, this kind of stuff. And then um, the more I got to know him, the more we, we talked about scripture, um, argued about scripture, <laughs> talked about it some more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, Kevin was always there, always a part, and he took a real big interest in, in me. And I'm like, well, gosh, just because I don't go to school here anymore, don't mean like I ain't gonna like we're gonna hang out, man. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like a brother to me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I go. It's one of them deals where you know you can go six, seven, eight, nine months while talking to somebody. That phone rings. Kevin at calling. It's like, dude, we're picking up right back where we left off. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But a mentor really. From Kevin's perspective, I've got a few mentors in my life, but. From Kevin's perspective, Kevin has kept me out of a lot of trouble. Okay, mm-hmm. he's he's a he's a filter. He's somebody to bounce stuff off of, and I'm talking about like big stuff. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And he's always been really, really, really good to me as far as that goes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's usually a man to have. You know, having people to bounce stuff off of. People ask you like, "What's going on?" or whatever. But for somebody to sit down with you and say, "How are you?" You know, I think as a man, that's not very common. I don't think that's very People common. People don't know what to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get, uh, you're absolutely right. Like, as a man, I mean, we're the dragon slayers. Like, we take care of everything for our family. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we're making, we are taking care of our families, right? So, yeah, um, somebody gives you a compliment. If somebody gave me a compliment, I'll sit there and melt. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. If somebody asked me, like, hey, how are you doing? I'm kind of like, dude, you don't want to know. We don't want to go there. You know what I'm saying? But I, but Kevin's type of guy's like, I, I care about you. Like, really, like, how are you doing? You know that kind of I mean? gets back to what we talked about on the last one, which will be coming out. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've just always been one of those. I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I genuinely want to know, hey, what's going on in that head of yours? Huh? What, what's clicking? And, you know, and that's that's, I don't know. I just always did that with everybody if i felt like they were off or whatever let's take them off the side and say what's going on with you you know god how many walks did we go on a lot of miles man i mean we'll put some some roads yeah and he's right like even after he was out of drumline and doing his thing i can just remember uh you know he'd come where i was was living at the time which go for a walk talk and uh, just hang out and oh yeah you know and i've always been very proud of clark because you know he's he's always I always say he's he's a step ahead of everything, but he he has always known what he wanted to do and executed and did it, and um, he's just always had that mind for it. I mean, he's helped me as much as I've helped him over the years. So, and that's cool to see the mentor side of things. You know, people that don't have a mentor don't want to be a mentor. It it feeds off both. Like yep. it helps both people. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important uh, fact to realize that not only does the mentoree 
get a lot of benefit, but the mentor does as well. Yeah, absolutely. As he as he got older and uh, got a little bit of experience and started doing some things, and you know, he he got to where his perspective on things was actually good for me at times in my life when I needed it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, the mentorship you you, you kind of want to work yourself out of a job almost. Mm-hmm. You know, you you want to. You want the people that you're trying to influence to be an asset for you too. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of how I've looked at it through the years. Yeah, good stuff. So uh, y'all were in drumline together, mm-hmm. uh, or you were the the instructor and everything. So kind of the mentor relationship kind of just mended there and, and started there. Um, what would you say for people that were looking for a mentor that don't have one, don't have a lot of people to talk to, finding a mentor? How do you think uh, somebody would go about that to approach that? Well, I'll tell you this for for me. Um, like I wanted to get in real estate. Okay. And so I did. So I found the guy who owns all the real estate. And I'm like, hey man. Um, my name's Clark Thompson. What's up? Mm-hmm. This is what I want to do, kind of what you're doing. Wait, tell me tell me about what you do. You got time for me for a minute? And people, if you're humble and you ask somebody, hey man, can you tell me about what you do and this i'm not in any kind of competition with you you know what i mean like at all right um you know how do you and and they say right where you're at you know what i mean and uh had a guy pull me under his wing tell me exactly what he did and and how we did it and how he went about it and there was just a lot of humility there you know kind of on my part that guy took me under his wing and he really helped me out Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of how that's that was my approach Mm -hmm. you, you know becoming humbly you know, just yeah. approaching somebody humbly and saying, hey, I admire this. I see this about you. I want you to take right. me under your wing and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it takes a strong person to do that because that humility there, oh, yeah. somebody saying they don't know, that's kind of, you know, not a lot of people want to do that. That's right. You know? so, so I think that's an important thing. What would you say, Kev? So the question is getting a mentor? Yeah, like if, if somebody, you know, didn't have a mentor, but they're like, I want somebody to mentor me in, in a certain aspect of life. Uh, I think uh, when you're a young man, um, it, it's very easy for someone to get involved in something, um, and whatever that thing is, you're going to probably have someone that's older that's going to be uh, involved in teaching you whatever your art or skill is. And I think, especially for younger people, that just naturally that that mentor is just that's who they're going to be. I, but I think it's really incumbent upon the mentor to know what they're doing mm-hmm. and not um not be in it for themselves um you know i i don't know you either have it or you don't mm-hmm. yeah um you know it, it's it's been a lot of hours of me sitting and thinking you know i tell him i said if 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 i could go back and talk to kevin thrasher who taught in the late 90s i you know I, there's so many things i would do different mm-hmm. as far as teaching and communicating but you know, that, that I think becoming a mentor, um, you, you have to question that a lot. You have to have that, okay, what could I do better? How could I influence better here? Did I come to this with, you know, humility? Was I tough enough here? It's finding that balance on what it is that you're doing to influence the person in the correct way. I mean, I had I had mentors growing up, um, you know, and, and they were good. Um but a lot of times I did, I did a lot of uh, thinking, you know what, that didn't work out for me the mm-hmm. way that they did that. So, 
And I think that you have to do that a lot in life is the, the things that you saw growing up or going through certain things is, did this work? No, it didn't. I don't want to go that route. Okay. Why did it not work? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that gets more into digging deep into uh, what it is that, uh, what it is that you're trying to do, you know, whether it's, you know, being a policeman or being a doctor or, you know, having that critical thought of uh, what it is that I can do and do this better. So when you get a, get that into mentoring, um, it takes both sides to have that, to ha- to make it work at its fullest. Mm-hmm. You know, that Clark summed it up, just a, a humility, but also uh, uh, wanting to learn. It's the nonstop learning. Mm-hmm. Well, debriefing, like uh, in the medical field, debriefing, you know, yes. analyzing things. Something happened, occurred. Mm-hmm. Let's look at it, find kind of the root cause, and then what can we do better next time? Yeah, uh, yeah. that's it's good work. Really, analysis uh, in general, just of uh, life as a whole, I think it's very, yeah. very important. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, fellas. Uh, so I found I found this online actually very interesting. The three A's of being a mentor: Are you available? Are you an active listener? And are you analytical? Well, you just kind of alluded to analytical. Mm-hmm. Um, available, active listener, analytical. Do you think that's the uh, kind of the three keys to being a mentor? I don't disagree with it. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? I mean, especially being an active listener, because, um, you know, sometimes being a mentor can turn into being a, a best friend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sometimes being a mentor is listening to a guy's problems and giving a crap about them. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A lot of guys don't get that these days. I mean, like, well, active legit. listening is kind of like taking it in and then forming it to give something back. Sure. Like even just sure. passive listening, right? Like you listen to this is helpful. That's right. But actively analyzing the problem with the person or analyzing yeah. a situation or anything, that's really the key, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. You summed it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you did. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, and if you're the mentor, you've obviously been down that road yeah. that they're going down. All right. And being relatable in that, and like you said, doing a nice little debrief, probably with yourself during that time, and you can go back and you can give a lot of good advice to a lot of good young men, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've, I don't know, uh, younger men, I just don't think a lot of times want to listen to the older, but there's a lot of wisdom there, you know, in the older older population and everything, I think it's very important to do. There is, there is. But I think we've all been, teen, like in a teenager type setting, I think I was different too, having drumline instructor, having people I admired and all that. But a lot of young people kind of know it all, you know, and oh, then you see they, them tear their life yeah, away and, yeah. and you know, tear it up and all that. Absolutely. But, you know, learning from people's mistakes. I think that's that's a huge thing. It is. I mean, when I worked night shift patrol, man, I mean, I was at Jack's. I was the very first customer at the Jack's on Rainbow Drive. I was the very first customer at the Jack's in a towel of the new one they opened over there that was across the old Johnson's. But... I would always, when I was working night shift, go get me a nice double gravy and biscuit and a water and put me a nice <laughs> carb load, fuel for sleeping, right? Yeah. And I always sat at a table with them old retired Goodyear guys. Yeah. They, they just knew everything. Mm-hmm. They knew everything. I mean, you name it. They worked on stuff. But mm-hmm. you were willing to be the active listener. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's. Yeah. How can you, I mean, how can you tell somebody something that already knows everything? You realize mm-hmm. how frustrating that is? Yeah. Well, you know, you can't. No. Yeah. No, yeah. you're spot on. Mm-hmm. All these twenty somethings, man, they 
sometimes you just gotta let the loose ends drag, baby. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's always gonna come back. You know, it's uh, it's always gonna shape out the way it needs to. You know, the lesson's always gonna be taught, whether you learn it from somebody, right, or you're gonna learn it in your own life experience. Uh, the lesson that you need to learn is always gonna be taught. I feel, uh, Kevin. Uh, the three A's again: available, active listener, analytical. What are your thoughts? Uh, sums it up. Um, it, that that's something that. Uh, without knowing the terminology that I always tried to do, um, you, the availability and the active listener kind of, to me, go hand in hand. Um, but the listening, um, you know, that you have to give people a chance to get stuff off their chest, you, to talk. Um, I guess that's just something I developed because I always like talking about stuff, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but I, I always tried to let people talk to me about what's going on. And, you know, for a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid, you're listening to what they're saying. And depending on where you are in your life, you might be sitting there in your brain going, I roll, you know, hey, you, you don't know what your problems are really right. going to be in the future. But at that point, that's what's important to them. And you have to learn to communicate with them on that level. And be able to communicate it back uh, so that they buy in to you mm-hmm. and that they see, oh, this guy really does care about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I think, you know, you have some people that, that they don't have that skill. It's not that they can't, can't learn it, but um, that's really the key to me in teaching young people over the years is, you know, I try to get on their level and uh, listen to what they have to say and don't make them feel stupid for mm-hmm. what they've said. That's huge. Yeah. And, and, and you know, y'all know, I used to kid with y'all. I, I'd oh, yeah. say things and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, I'd say things that were borderline mean. <laughs> just, yeah, uh, that's but, huge, though. Make it, not making other people feel stupid for yeah. asking a question, doing what they've done, whatever mistake they've made. You, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Even in the medical field, you see it all the time, like, People sometimes are afraid to ask questions, like especially even medical professionals. They're like, you should should know that. Right. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Absolutely. You know, I may be stronger at something than somebody else, but I can help them. They can help me. You know, and that's where arrogance and all that comes into play. It can really be uh, detrimental to you, for sure. So in being a mentor, open questions, we kind of alluded to that already. Mm -hmm. Having open-ended questions, talking to each other, not like a yes or no thing. Like, what do you feel about um, something, not just like a yes or no answer? How do you feel about open-ended questions? The importance. The importance? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, listen. <laughs> I'm a very simple dude. Yeah. And so, are you are you talking about like, oh, Clark? Like, what, what do you, you mean, think? like open-ended questions? Open-ended like when you're talking to somebody, what do you think about Cheetos? That's you can't say yes or no to that. Yeah. You have to say Cheetos are cheesy. That's right. You have to say they're, they're yeah. crunchy. Right? And they're messy. They're messy. That's exactly. right. So you have to use adjectives, nouns. Right. So, that, so that's what I'm saying, you know, and, and having if a mentor wanna, and all that. Yeah. You know, just not like, that's right. are you okay? Yes. No, nah, if you want to pull, pull down to where, where a guy's at, you know, spiritually, um, mentally, you know, emotionally, like what, where's this dude at? You, you've got to. And sometimes that takes that takes a little time. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I mean, 
Well, well, like you said, Kevin, to kind of echo on that, uh, getting to their level, that, you know, for younger people, even as a parent, uh, we'll get into parenthood and all that in a second, I think. But uh, getting on somebody's level, Mm -hmm. you know, because you could talk to somebody and they don't hear a word you say, Mm -hmm. you know. But getting on somebody's level, saying, I'm going to help you in this way and get down to where you understand me, where you can relate to me and we can connect in that way, that's huge. Because I think you see that a lot in, in people talking. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you talk to somebody, but they, they don't hear a word you're saying because you're not, you know, developing that connection there. It's important. I think the environment around you has to create the situation where this can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, in Drumline, it's easy because you guys had nowhere else to go but in that band room or on that field with me. Mm-hmm. So you, you're kind of at my mercy of what what I what is going on there. So. um. To be able to get y'all to understand that, I don't know if y'all remember this, but I did a lot of explaining why I did the things I did, why I wrote something the way I wrote it, what it's going to do to to the rest of the band or or, or why we're doing this or what we're going to be feeling here. I don't know if y'all remember that part, but I did a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but And also, when I was trying to teach y'all stuff, I would ask y'all these questions, you know, because I want to pull out of you. I want to try to get the the neurons in your brain to think like I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you can do that, if I can get you on that level, then all I have to do is sit back and hit play and watch y'all do it. And then you or you or whoever can go, hey, man, you're pulsing that rolling right. You already know what to listen for. You already know. So it was just as important for me to get y'all to think about your surroundings and what was going on. And the way that I did that was to ask questions. What do you hear? What are you feeling? Where do you see this going? And, you know, once you're bought into what's going on, and that was the key, y'all were bought into it, then you want to learn. So, um, like I said, sometimes it takes the environment. to create that opportunity so that whoever it is that is listening to you knows at that point, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I've got. I need to listen to this mm-hmm. to see whatever direction we're going with it. Right. I don't know if that answered the question, but that's what was on my head. It so. did. Okay. It did. Pretty good stuff, man. Uh, anything else from you, Clark? I was just, there's um, probably just a little confusion. I mean, I when I think of open-ended questions, I just don't want to like, um especially younger guys they when i when i talk to them they they'll do uh what i call question flexing which is like asking me questions i'm like man i don't know what you just said i don't know how to answer (laughs) that big words i got a standard diploma from Southside freaking high school i don't know (laughs) yeah you know i like talking about cheetos man yeah you know what i mean cheetos but it it took me a second to kind of get where he's going out with that yeah and i i'll echo what kevin was saying you know getting down on their level and you can't you can't mentor somebody without asking open-ended questions because man i mean nobody wants to air out dirty laundry or really talk about how they really feel or who they really are a lot of the times you know mm-hmm. but i mean you do that in your profession you're on the other end of it you're trying to get to the bottom of something you you ask open-ended questions you're leading them somewhere are you not well yes yeah, so it's yeah. it's sort of the opposite of mentoring but you you kind of are taking them by the hand going okay here's where we're going with this so mm-hmm. that's right you know mm-hmm. in the but, long run it's helping them kind of yeah. Yeah. yeah but like you said environment you know, giving people that comfortability 
to open up, sure, to be able to say, here's what I'm going through and all that. Because I think in, in men is tough. It's it's tough to create that environment, but if you're able to, uh, you know, they use safe space, kind of that language. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. But that's very important. It is. I don't yeah. understand the safe space thing. Well, it's like you feel safe to share your feelings. I don't think you want to ask an open-ended question in the middle of an Alabama football game, like while you're at the game. Sure. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, just creating, you know, an environment where it's like, okay, uh, fight or flight took down, you know, parasympathetic. Uh, nervous system to use a little medical like big big mm-hmm. words you might not know what i'm talking about I know exactly what you're talking a about d? A d? south side they taught you that no they didn't oh you learned that later on <laughs> i got you don't but let yeah. him fool you man don't oh i know yeah hey education ain't everything mm-hmm. you know i'm at well i ain't gonna say that uh but yeah but yeah having a safe environment around people just to open up and stuff very important yeah important stuff thankful for you as a mentor kevin want to echo that man uh oh, very too. yeah very me thankful too. for you man Thank I shared I shared in the podcast, you know, before uh father figure in, in many ways taught me a lot of in my younger days and all that helped me in life for sure. No doubt. Yep, yep. Uh gonna start law enforcement, man. So Clark, you said twenty one years in law enforcement. That's it. Uh start at the bottom, the very bottom. You went to Southside High School, all That's right. that. And so you got into law enforcement. What kind of made you go in that direction? Oh my gosh. Listen, man. Uh I ain't got no sense. They uh had a buddy of mine said, Hey dude, um, you know, you wanna um I mean, this is like two thousand three. Okay. Yeah. It's like, hey man, um, you don't come down here and work with me at the sheriff's office, they give you like insurance and stuff. Something about retirement, but that ain't important right now. Yeah. And uh <laughs> I'm like, sure, you know, let's just kind of go do that, you know. I, I mean I've Went to nursing school for a little bit and oh, wow. at Gazin State. And Do you know that you were talking to me about, I was the first person you talked to about going into this. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Yeah. 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 So, ironically, we were down at the band room, the old band room, Southside. Yeah. And I was in there messing around with the drums or something. And he's in there and he said, Kevin, I think I'm going to work with the sheriff's office. Yeah. And I said, you are? And he said, yeah, because they give insurance that you'd already studied it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You it don't remember really that? Good. It was really good. Um, I went to go work at the county jail, and I stayed at uh, at the jail for like 18 months. Yeah, people and listen to this everywhere. Etowah County, Alabama. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. Etowah County, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a little 60 days in on it. Um, yeah. Our quality of bad guys were so much better back then, because it just, what you saw a couple years back, that was not how it was when I was there. It was well, really kind of the ice thing, right? They brought in. The, they did. Yeah. yeah, they did. And I worked in those units yeah. and, um, you know, it was really, really good. It, um, it really, really helped me learn how to talk to people. Um, it taught me that just cause you're in jail don't mean you're a bad person. That's right. All right. Um, I learned a lot working in that jail cause man, we're in there for 12 hours. And so it's a, it's a, a open supervision Jail, I think it's like the last one in the state that's like that, where the corrections officers out with the inmates. See, there's a lot of rapport building, like immediate action. Wow. All right, and so, uh, so that was really good. And then, um, it's actually a lot. I mean, it, I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I really did. I mean, mm-hmm. all we did was just go smoke cigarettes and shoot hoops. You know what I mean? I mean, just hung out. I yeah, mean, it's fine. Good. You got to make the best of it, dude. I'm working in the jail. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's a great, 
uh, kickoff point, you know, and then um, the sheriff sent me to the police academy, went down to Birmingham, became a deputy sheriff. Um, you know, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's different. Um, and then I went to, uh, a Talapede shortly after that, I guess it was about 05. And yeah, 05 was, uh, I remember 07. Yeah. I yeah. started in, in 05. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wasn't at the, might've been a little bit after that anyway, yeah. somewhere in there. I was going to put on my applications anyway. Okay. Like I don't yeah, remember. Got you I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but Atala, now Atala PD, that, that town is just different. There, it's, it's almost like, um, you know, each, each municipality in this county is, is kind of different. Sure. You know, just in its own little way, you know, we're, your folks in Country Club, your folks in Horton's Bend are different from your folks in Glencoe who are different than your folks in Southside, whatever. Hoax Bluffs, it's own little animal out there. Oh, yeah. And then, um, and then you got Atala. And then within those city limits is just, there's some really, really, really good, good people out there. And there's also some of the wildest things I have ever witnessed before in my whole life that's in Atala. Mm. I mean, it's, in, it's incredible. Any stories you like to share? No names. <laughs> I mean, so they kind of messed up, and I got promoted, and they say no. I'm like, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no business being a police officer at 24 years old. I mean, that yeah. was that was insanity. Yeah. Okay, absolute insanity. So you feel like that's not a good idea. I think it's a fantastic uh, idea if you're mature yeah. and you got some sense. Uh, but no, you did not. I'm 24 years old. Dude, I'm the night shift sergeant. I, I, I'm the guy on night shift. All right? And, uh, dude, I don't know what to do on these folks out here, man. But, you know, I used to get Kevin to come ride with me some. Mm-hmm. I cleared it with my chief. He signed a little piece of paper, said, wouldn't say nobody, if, you know, got hurt or whatever. And he rode out here with me. But now there's this guy, there's this guy. <laughs> One time, Kevin, I'd forgotten all about it, but he told, reminded me about it the other day at uh, at lunch. But um, now, there's this guy one time. This is the craziness, all right? Like, this dude is sitting at home watching TV one day, and he's watching folks like bungee jump and stuff. You know what I mean? He lives mm-hmm. out in a trailer, like, way out in the boonies, out in a towel, okay? He's like, you know, I, I really want to do something with my life. I think I'm going to do that. Matter of fact, I'm going to do that right now. Mm-hmm. This old boy gets him a hose, uh, his old draw-rutted hose. I mean, it's, you know, middle of summertime. And uh, he climbs up on top of his single wide. And, you know, you've got like the little soffit vents for your plumbing that kind of come out the roof, you know. Yeah. He tied one end around that hose to that soffit vent, tied the other end around his ankles and just did just like this and just kind of jumped off the side of the, the, the trailer, what? you know, nice little 12-foot drop, uh-huh. a 25-foot hose. You know, so I get down there, you know, and this guy's like picking his eyelashes off and eating them and stuff. I don't know where he's at. I mean, you know what I mean? It's crazy. I'm like, dude, why, are you, why did you do this? Like, why am I here? Number one, why am I here? There's nothing I can do for the Anyway, it's crazy. What, what was the explanation? He's on drugs. What, what, is, what was he smoking? Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, I, yeah. I mean, we're doing drugs. We're getting bored. You know, went to a guy's house, says, you know, has like, um, there is no meth here, spray painted on the outside of his garage. Yep. 
you know, get a call out there of the house. Baby Bob opens up the garage door, you know, and he's like taking a a, a torch. And he's got his car and he's he's cutting his car in half with the torch. Wow. I'm talking like long ways, beginning with the engine block. <laughs> we're going like he wanted it to be in half. Okay. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's wild. Can I tell you about the story that uh, when I rode with you? Please. Okay. So I I'd never been on a ride with him. So we he said, "Come on, let's let's go ride." And I said, "Fine." So he he worked third. Yeah. I guess it was third. That's or whatever. Right. And uh, um, we were over in Atala, and we stopped, and we we're just talking. You know, we we're just talking, and uh, do nothing, man. And uh, he said, "Do you hear that?" I said, "What?" I rolled down the window, her, and just somebody's doing something somewhere. <laughs> so every time somebody did something, he's like. Turn on the lights and shot across and went somewhere in Atala. And there's a truck in the middle of the road at 1230 at night just doing donuts. Wow. Doing donuts. In the middle of a road? In the middle of a road. Wow. A back road. Mm-hmm. It was wide, but it was a back road. Yeah. So Clark takes off after him, pulls him over. I don't even know if you remember this. The kid had no license. He was drunk. This was his fourth DUI. What? And it it wasn't even his truck. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> we had this running jokes like we never looked for anything to do. I mean, it'll yeah. find you. Yeah. I mean, I'm just sitting there going, you know, um, I'm like, I'm in this police car. Kevin's riding with me, and I'm like, man, please just don't run this stop sign. It's just we're the only two cars driving in this town right now. Just please don't do it. Yeah, just don't do it. Because it was right there off of uh, 431, right there yeah. when you turn left on the Highway 11. I'm like, man, don't, let's, please, let's just don't do this. And I'm like, great. Here we go. Hey, run it. Just run it. Yeah. You just know, like it wasn't even there. And so, you know, <laughs> um, pull him over. First words out of his mouth. Sir, I do not have any marijuana in this car. And I'm like, God, I'm, here we go. That's not guilty at all. No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. I want to be sitting in my car where it's warm talking to Kevin. Right. I want to be out here working. Right. You know what I mean? You know, there was a, a nurse practitioner friend. I have Greg Smith, great guy, great guy. But he uh, he did EMS, and uh, it was a 2 a.m. call, and he had to go out in the pouring rain and all this stuff and do something, and that's when he decided to go back to nursing school. NP. He's like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, the cops, it's, it's tough, man. Getting up in the middle of the night to a lot of different calls and stuff, I'm sure it's oh, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it can, yeah. it can be pretty hectic. I had the joke that every night these people would get together somewhere, and, and they would go, okay, I'm going to do this stupid thing. Yeah. So make sure that when I, y'all make sure that you let me know where Clark is so I'll know when to do it so he'll find me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, work like, in emergency uh, medicine, you see that too. It's like they yeah. had to plan this. Like this has to be planned. Yeah. And like nobody yeah. ever like resisted arrest or anything. I was just like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I put me in back now. I guess I'm going to jail. Oh, yeah. It's good night. Uh, How are you, officer? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there was never anything dangerous. It yeah. was just people just. They wanted to have a good time to the max at one thirty a.m. They chose one thirty a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's weird. Um, so I want to ask this: You were a sheriff deputy, yeah, and then you did police as well. Mm-hmm. I've heard from uh, different people have said uh, sheriff deputies don't as much worry about like traffic's like running red lights, running stop signs, stuff like that. Are they more? Are police more focused on those type of violations, or what's kind of the focus of the two agencies? A little, yeah. I mean, um. Every county 
in the state of Alabama it's mandated by state law to run operating county jail all right and so running the courts uh inmate transports to and from prison that kind of stuff that's that's gonna be our sheriff's main main focus and yeah I mean you know the answering calls for service is and I think traffic enforcement for the sheriff's office like I'm talking man I'm talking like 20 years ago okay mm-hmm. I can't speak for sure you know, what what sheriff's doing today but um at the time i mean it it, it wasn't real high priority on the on a ton of because you got you got to think i think like in the city limits of gadsden during business hours the population like almost triples so mm-hmm. like the most people are like in city limits and then they go back home to their so there's not a lot of traffic enforcement to do in the county 20 years ago sure you know what i mean so yeah you're right the focus on traffic enforcement is more geared toward your municipalities he used Mm -hmm. to stop by the house when i lived in hooks bluff he'd be out in the furthest reaches of ball play and then i'd look outside and there'd be a sheriff's car out there Mm -hmm. clark come to see me yeah because we were we were so focused on um inmate pickups transports getting people to and from court and that kind of stuff you know what i mean because mm-hmm. your sheriff's got a he's in charge of all that stuff you know so mm-hmm. um yeah but the whole patrol thing that was kind of we, we we would do it some but not a lot why did atala have a jail and i don't know but they don't have it anymore do they yes they still yeah, have it yeah okay. they, do. Well, they have a school too a atala city school yeah they do well, but uh, it's, it's just weird because it's like he said the sheriff's you know they're they're in charge of housing, yeah. You know everything that comes from Hoax Bluff, Southside. Everything comes there. If somebody gets arrested, that's where they go. But Atala was different. They had their own jail. They had yeah. to keep up with. Yeah, I always thought that was odd, but you I know, did too. Yeah, it was easy. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, cops, the cops have to meet a quota. Big deal. Like <laughs> big thing. Big thing from a lot of people. They're like, oh, end of the month. Like uh, people are going to get pulled yeah, over. Yeah, just getting uh, crushed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Is that a real thing? No, no, no. I've no. never, I've never seen it. It's, it's more of kind of like this. All right. So, in any profession, you've got your go getters. You got, you know, twenty percent of the people are going to do eighty percent of the work. Yeah. Most of the time, and that's just how people are. Mm-hmm. Pops the same way. What will get said is like, hey, dude, um. You know, you hadn't done a traffic stop in like two weeks. Like, you understand, like, you work here. And that's kind of yeah. like part of what we do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Could, yeah. you, could you just do something? Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not going to, they can't order you to write a ticket. They can't, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, now this whole quota thing, like, you got to have like 25 tickets a week or something like that. Or a month no, or something no. like that. Because that's what a lot of people say, like, watch out. It's the end of the month. Watch out for the cop because they're going to, so that's not a real thing. Well, now, state troopers, no. don't they have a, don't they have to have so many, well, like, no, I mean, okay, they're, I, they're I the same I they had to, uh, Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think, you know, the their supervisors may want you to, hey, man, I just need you to have, you know, five contacts. But it's not like a shit. written yeah. thing. It's no, like, it's more no, of a spoken no, no. thing. Like, That's right. You pick it up a little bit. Let, yeah. Let's work. Yeah. We're here. Let's work. Yeah. You ain't got to write them a ticket, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't. And that's what I love about officer discretion. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you broke a traffic law. But you know what? You see two empty car seats in the back seat. You know, you got a mom doing the best she can. What am I going to do? Make mm-hmm. her life harder? Yeah. You know, over over a speeding ticket? Yeah. No, dog. We and not that. endangerment or something like no. that. Just a little bit of speeding. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of situations. Uh, I worked emergency medicine. Shared that a ton on, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But where 
I would hear they would approach people and say, you can either go to jail or you can go to the ER. They would tell them this. <laughs> is that is that for real? Yeah. So you're looking at like pretty much like, look, you're obviously heavily intoxicated on some kind of drug of whatever sort. Mm-hmm. All right. And so it's like you you need to go to the hospital, man. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to get you help. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. some people, when they, it's like arguing, it, there's nothing worse than arguing with a drunk. Yeah. There's nothing worse. And so when you hear people say stuff like that, it's like, listen, I'm trying to help you. All right. I know you don't understand this right now, but dude, you need some help. Yeah. And more often than not, if they're, if, if they're saying that, the, the jail's not going to take them. Okay. If you, if you need, medical assistance of any kind they're they're going to get that to you mm. well you know like I mean? they would get pulled over or whatever and they're like my chest my chest is hurting and, they, and they'd send them straight to the er yep. and get out of get out of going to jail and stuff is, is that a real thing depending on what you did okay all right now you go you go out here and commit a felony and your chest is hurting that's fine i'm gonna yeah. sit right there with you yeah all right and i'll be waiting on you whenever it is you get done like we're not going anywhere mm. you know what i mean but i'll pull you over for speeding or something Eh, all right, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, if you're legit going to the AR for chest pains over speeding ticket, like, you guys probably not going to write you a speeding ticket. Right. But you come out here and commit a felony, mm-hmm. um, having a heart attack, it's not going to, like, we've got victims over here that right. need justice, right? Mm-hmm. So, no, they don't just kind of magically go away because we get a little AR trip. So, a lot of people say that, though, because they know that the county or whoever, if you have them, um, uh, under arrest take mm-hmm. them to the hospital and all that if the patient or the uh, person stays that the county has to cover that bill now right i don't think so okay because i heard that's how a lot of people I, got out of it and well, they, they would like take him to the hospital and then just bail and say we're letting them free because they yeah, would have to be responsible for that bill i'm sure in some instances that's the that's the case mm-hmm. in some instances that's the case um but you can there's there's some kind of some some certain bond conditions you can do you know what i mean so hey we're going to release you so that you can go get the treatment you need mm-hmm. but as soon as you get out you're, you're going to come to jail and you're going to answer for what you did you know what i mean mm. there i think they've kind of worked around that some of that I, that was the case early on yeah but man i've been out of patrol for gosh 13 14 years yeah, now I'm, I'm not really sure for about five years now so it's been a little bit yeah long. i'm, I'm kind of really out of the loop to speak on that but i think there's there's been some workarounds on that because that that model of doing that it's just not sustainable i mean the Gosh, the county would go broke if you just every county inmates getting you know raking up a hundred thousand dollar medical bills. Well, that's what I mean. You know that's what I mean? why they would they would right. just say we're releasing you because yeah. they were responsible for the bill. If you're still under arrest, the right. county would be. That's right. So if they let you go and you're not a prisoner, right. then you're responsible for your own bill. Right. But then you get off with whatever you've done. Well, no, you're not getting off. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there is no, or, uh, no, yeah, no, there is no, um, there is no, just it, like things just don't go away. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's true, depending on you know what you've been charged with, man. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Officer discretion, I guess too. Oh, I mean, we're not. I mean, you go out here like you're in jail on capital murder, man. And it's like we're not, we're not just gonna like let you go. Yeah, and just like, hey, please come back on your court date or anything. You know what I mean? But sure. uh but how it goes with who pays what medical bill or, or whatever, I'm I'm kind of out of the loop on that. I really don't mm-hmm. know. 
Yeah, but that's that's what I heard. That's what I experienced a lot, uh, that they would bring them in and then kind of just be like, they're out of our hands now, and they just leave them, and then they would just walk out. Like, they, they wouldn't oh even, they, they wouldn't care. Right. Because that's what, like you said, it's not sustainable. Right. So they would say, my right. chest, I'm I'm hurting. Right. And so they'd take them to the hospital, they let right. them go, then they would just AMA, bail. Right. You know? So that was the model that I saw often. Wow. Yeah. I kind of guess that depends on depends on the officer too how he does things yeah man I, like i say i i hate that i can't answer that yeah because I, I i just hadn't been i hadn't been on on the streets in so long mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean typically what happens hey my chest is hurt take him to jail and say hey take him to the ar get him checked out and if they admit him we'll you know stay with him or leave but that's kind of like our bosses kind of knock some of that stuff out you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. challenges of law enforcement huge challenges you know especially covid a little after and Uh, defund the police all that kind of just talk about challenge kevin we hadn't talked to you a lot you can can talk anytime but um but kind of talk about the challenges of law enforcement what you've seen before and what you experience now um back when i started policing like it was right post 9-11 all right and so everybody was i mean we're we got guys made you know nfl players during the super bowl you know, they're, they're trotting with huge American flags up and down the field and it, everybody's just pro America. And that's kind of the law enforcement that I walked into. Yeah. All right. That's, that's the world I, I walked into. Everybody respected the police and, you know, we get, um, as time kicked on, man, it just, it just kind of went downhill from time to time, you know, just these different national events that got all kind of media, media t- uh, attention and, um, Next thing you know, we start getting a lot of F the police and then you get the whole Black Lives Matter thing and um man, I, I ain't gonna lie to you, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, um some of them I can speak to, some of it I can't. Um and I, I mean Do you I, do you see that officers have different procedures now than when you when Oh you my god, there? yeah. They, yeah. I mean they've done so much of the um racial bias trainings and stuff like that and which there's nothing wrong with that you know what i mean but um well i think with a lot of things there's a few that ruin it for everybody i think there's a few profession man every profession that's right i mean bad good bad everything i mean and the media just killed us over it yeah they killed us and they created this narrative like i mean people are scared to death every time they get pulled over it's like dude I mean, I got a wife. I put my pants on just like you do, dog. I mean, we're, yeah. I ain't no better than anybody else. But again, there are a few. There's the power happy few, and that's that's a reality. Uh, but I, I think defunding the police, it, take police away. See what happens. It's going to be anarchy. Good luck with that. You have to have order. You got uh, and to. I don't think most of the people that want to take police away are, well, I'm not going to say a lot of what I want to say, but it, it, it'd be a terrible that time. That was very, very unpopular with everyone. Yeah. You know, taking police away or defunding them. Especially yeah. from what I from what I saw, even in the inner cities, you know the people who were kind of grounded there, uh, the lower income, you could say they were like, uh, uh-uh, we don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. We we can't have that, right? Yeah. You know, I you know people were. I think balanced people were like maybe maybe better training on some things, but it's like you said, if you have a few that ruin it for all and abuse that power. And, and you know that's been going on for decades. Oh yeah, well know? more than decades. But then you centuries. You, you know you have 
you have some cops that are just really good at what they do and balanced and and, and they never get the spotlight. Yeah. Um, there is so much, the good that I see in law enforcement in the past 20 years that I've been working in this county, the unrecognized, because man, I worked with a lot, lot of good dudes. Yeah. I mean, lots of good dudes. Um, crime scenes, hugging people's necks, comforting mothers, comforting abrupt widows. All right. There is so much good in law enforcement in this community, in this, in this county, um, that goes unrecognized, unnoticed. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's some bad cops that's come through here or whatever. Um, but man, you can't just wipe the slate clean and just negate all the good that's been done right. all the progress that's been, been made i mean the um the efforts that we've made to mend broken fences and you know um deal with racial polarization and, and this kind of stuff i mean those those guys are out there in the communities you know, you know i mean making mm-hmm. an effort i mean mm-hmm. there's some good dudes out there man and so when you start hearing all this defund the police and you've got like um, you go up there in Seattle and they, you know, the, the mayor up there allowed, they allowed them to burn down a police precinct, set up seven city blocks and create an autonomous zone. And they allowed it to happen. It's just unfathomable to me. Yeah, uh, It's unbelievable just to allow that kind of civil unrest and then blame the, pol- I mean, whatever it, man, it, look, that gets me about halfway fired up. Sure. Well, let me I, ask you something, but let me ask you something. You guys that, you know, when, when you were a cop and the things that I observed, it seems to me that when y- you deal with so many people that are just, they're just doing dumb stuff and you, you learn how they're lying and, and well, yeah. you know, but if you actually pull somebody over that cooperates, does what they're supposed to, it's like a breath of fresh air to y'all. Is it not? Am I right? It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, I mean, it, it yeah. really is. Like, it's like, oh, I don't have to crap. deal with Thank this. You so much. Yeah, it's, yeah. Here's the license. You're, you're good. Have a nice day. So, yeah. so but see, you, you have a, there is a culture now that teaches cops are out to kill you. Yeah. Okay. Why are we doing that? That, you know, I, I, I don't well, understand. Here's my deal. Here's my deal. All right. If it's a, as bad as what the, the media says it is all right we got a really really cool thing um a pretty important piece of paper that i think they fought a war over it or something uh amended a time or two but the the fourth time they amended it um uh something about the constitution or something do you pull me over and you put me in jail without calls for no reason and you beat me up all right like for no reason whatsoever, dude. I'm I'm getting a lot of money off of that. Okay, yeah. like a lot. Yeah. The mm-hmm. officer's going. You know, he's getting fired. He's getting federally sued. The whole shebang. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As it, to me, as it should be. As it should. As be. it should. Be. And that city's should be. a lot of money. Compensation. Yeah, as it should be. But just pulling people over for no reason, just snatching them out, just beating the crap out of them, just because we won't. I mean, that that's not the topic of conversation in the roll calls I've been in 
It's like, hey, man, let's go eat lunch or go eat dinner at like, you know, have roll call, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, going to eat dinner. Like the idea of like, let's just go see how many black people we can put in jail tonight. Mm-hmm. That never happened. Yeah. Ever. N- not even. We're talking about football. Same things you and your coworkers talk about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The same thing. I mean, are you just going to not treat somebody medically based on how they smell? Right. Or are they poor? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's, and it's no different. Right. It's no different. I'll tell you a story. One time I was uh, at the store and I had left and I needed to get home. It's when I lived in Asheville. And I come up the hill and I was, you know, I was, I was just ready to get home. And I, and as I come over the hill, I, I, the light turned red on me and I just went on through it. Well, about the time that I went through it, Gadsden PD just, <laughs> and I, I looked in my rear view mirror and those, those tail lights lit up and he's turning around. And so, I just, I thought, he's got me. Let's let's stop. So I pulled in a parking lot and stopped, and I just sat there. And he pulled up beside me, and he was, I, I can't, I don't know who the cop was, but he, he looked, he was going, like, really? Really? And I went, officer, I ran that light, and I am sorry. And he said, why did you do that? I said, I'm just ready to get home. I'm just ready to get home. And he said, you look familiar. How do I know you? And me knowing him, this is what helped me is, okay, when a cop does that, you tell me if I'm wrong. It's, do I know you from something no good? Right. You know, so I'm going to question a little bit. And I told him, I said, look, I know half people you work with. I went to school with half of them. And I know Clark Thompson. Yeah. I know this guy, this guy, this guy. I said, mm-hmm. I went to school with half of them. They all know me. You've probably seen me around. Mm-hmm. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back to Asheville. And I just... Dude, I'm just wanting to go home. I've worked all week. He said, and he goes, I don't like writing tickets, but don't do this again. I said, I'm not. I'm not. I'm always careful. I, have, I haven't had a wreck since I was 16. Mm-hmm. He said, all right, have a good day. And that's all it was, is learning how to communicate with the officer. Now, if he gave me a ticket, he had every right to give me a ticket. Right. I'd take the ticket, pay it, and go on. Well, a lot of it's accountability. Like mm-hmm. you said, you you know what you did. You're like, hey, you got me. I you did got it. me. You know, behave and, and accept it. Yeah, just just behave. Dude. Yeah, accept the wrongdoing. I had a similar experience in Glencoe. Actually, ran a red, ran a stop sign. Wanted to get home, driving home from Birmingham, travel nursing at the time. Um, and he flipped his lights. I put my flashers on, and I pulled over. And he got out and said, "Thank you so much for putting your flashers on." I thank you for doing yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And, and he said. Stop at that stop sign next time. I said, okay, I will. And that was it. it. A respectful interaction. But I think a lot of people now, like you see a lot of these things online where they'll, uh, a cop will approach them and get license and registration. No, I'm not giving you that. You know, they say stuff mm, like that now. They do. Uh, why is that? Why is this widely done now? Why do you think that? I don't is know. Is this arrogance from people? I mean, why do you think, you know? I got a lot of YouTube lawyers out there these days yeah. and this kind of stuff. Slight look. Driving on a road that our county dollars and state tax dollars paid for, all right, is a privilege. Oh, yeah. You, driving is a privilege for you to do. But I think a lot of people don't even recognize. They just think That's that right. it's just made in thin air. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's our job who works for these local governments, you know, to enforce the traffic laws and their municipal ordinances and state code, okay? And so... 
we're going to find out who you are. Like, that's that's happening, okay? If you violated the law, because, man, I mean, we got to find out, like, if you're a wanted person from somewhere, uh, if you're a person of interest and whatever, you know, mm. we can, you know, all kinds of crazy different scenarios. It's endless. But it's to keep people safe. Yes. It, and that's yes. the whole thing. It's not to infringe I on your rights. I don't care who you are, man. Yeah. I'm at work. Okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's the thing that I learned <laughs> riding with him and talking with him. Yeah. The cops, this is going to sound bad, but you, you, you amend this. As I, they don't care as much as you think they do. Yeah. They care about serious things. Is, is this person going to endanger somebody later? Do they need to be detained? Right. You know, is this person a threat? Uh, if you ran a stop sign, I'm going to address it. Mm. I'm going to make a call. May run your license to see if there's warrants. Yeah. Otherwise, I want to get back to what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, you d- you know, let's keep everything together. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man, I, 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 everything I've ever seen, every every cop, every, the guys I went to school with, they're, they're all the same. You know, they just, they're not out there with a vendetta ready to rock and roll all the time. It's just, it's not, it's not like that. I mean, it's kind of like this. This whole traffic stop, you know, running the stop sign thing is about like somebody coming into your ER pulling out a splinter. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's like so far down on the totem pole on things that we got to deal with is, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. That's just like we're not answering calls for service and, and we've got a job to do and that's to make everybody safe out here in the streets. But our, you know, top priorities are going to be our calls for service. Right. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, but I see that a lot, um, you know, pulling people over. I, I, you know, I was raised, if a cop pulls you over, just tell them who you are. Be respectful. Tell them who you are. Give yeah. them your license registration mm-hmm. and all that. But mm-hmm. I think some people say that they're targeted. Uh, what would you say to that? But you said targeted hell, like after you just got through breaking the law, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like half the people out here's got tinted windows. I don't know what you look like when I just passed you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, but a lot of that too is you get a call about a certain car or a certain person that's already done something, and then they find them and pull them over. Yeah, and so. I'll put it to you like this, okay? Um, it's it's kind of a two-way street. So let's take, um, you know, I, I'll kind of spin this around, Jared. What would you do? You, um, you're on a bad part of town, what we'll call a bad part of town, mm-hmm. okay? And you run a tag because, you know, um, let's just say you've got – Probable cause to perform a traffic stop, but you want to see who you're getting out with. You run a tag, and uh, it's a 16 year old um, white girl. Address goes to um, a private school here in town where there's known drug use. All right. If I pull her over, am I targeting her? Probably so. Tell you what, (laughs) found about a, you know, couple dime bags of weight in there yeah. we're calling mamas and daddies and stuff and then get a whole bunch of thank you so much for you know bringing this to my attention because what i always did especially when i dealt with kids is i never took them to the uh police department for their parents to come get them i always made them come to this you know where i where they were at uh, i wanted i wanted you to see it get a good visual 
You, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times parents won't believe you and stuff. I've had them hang up on me. Like, My daughter's in bed. Click. I'd call them out like, no, look, dude, like this is where we're at. And you need you to come get your yeah. kids. Wow. This kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, man, I mean, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, this whole idea of racial profiling, I think might be what you're alluding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess they call it targeting now. Um, it's, here's the deal. It's like, if you don't give me a reason to pull you over, I'm not going to pull you over based no. on what you look like, how crappy your car is, how nice your car is. Like it's against law. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So just obey the traffic laws like everybody else, like, and you're good and stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, and I, I'm telling you like, Nine times out of ten, everybody's got tinted windows, especially working at night. Oh, yeah. What color you are when I'm pulling before I pull you over, if, unless I'm just passing you like this. But typically, I'm behind you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry, I forgot what your question was. I, my mind just went. <laughs> no, I saw the targeting, you know, racial profile and all that. But I think this is why I do this. Mm-hmm. Hearing from somebody, you know, people have fear. People, a lot of people are afraid of police and all that. But to hear from you say that's not what we do. Well, I'll tell, yeah. tell you this, um, the number one thing, you, you know what really ticks me off, what really gets under my skin, my number one pet peeve that parents do with their children, and I call them out, to, I call them out on it to their face in front of their kids, is when they say, if you don't start acting right, he's going to put you in jail. And I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. you need to watch your tone, all right? I want them to run to me if they've got a problem. If they're scared, mm-hmm. I want them running to me. That's right. I don't want them to be afraid of me. I'm like, come here, kid. I got a little uh, scoop of Steve st- sticker over here, man, or something like that. You want to, man, if I, you know, try to get him like a candy bar or something. I mean, that, yeah. that drives me crazy. Yeah, I could see that. Because right? then you fear the police. You're yes. like, yeah, you're, oh, you're yes. going to go to jail. And I'm talking, I know it's a joke. You know, you hardly work, <laughs> you know, uh, working hard, hardly working. Mm-hmm. You know, be careful, you know, be nice, or this cop's going to put you in jail. So, you know, they don't mean nothing by it. Mm-hmm. But, their kids listening to them, man. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, they need to be able to come to me if they've got a lot legit problem and not be afraid. But I, I think, I really do think, uh, especially in this county, I think we've done a great well, job. You said the police presidents have kind of went yeah. into the county and all that. That's, that, that's right. I think, uh, I think, I think um, in Edwall County, we've done a really, really good job of, of curbing a lot of that. I, I don't, I don't really see a lot of those kind of issues around here in our community. Um, if there's been some recent ones, I'm unaware of it. Mm. But uh, just by and large, I think our guys around here do a fantastic job. Absolutely. Fantastic. Kevin, did you have something to say? Well, I was just going to say the the reverse of that. That just a little story. I was I was somewhere one time, and I had a buddy of mine that lived in a part of town that was a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was supposed to meet up with him. I was going to pick them up, but it was going to be a few minutes. So I had parked a good bit off, and I was just eating something. So I was sitting there. Well, there was a gas PD guy that was near the vicinity. Well, I was I was not in the best part of town, and so in his mind, he's going, "What is he doing here?" And so he comes up to the car and he says, "Hey, man, what's going on?" I said, nah, "I'm just sitting here getting me about this." He said, "Let me can I see your license." And I gave him my license. He said, "What are you doing?" And I said. I'm just waiting on a buddy of mine. He's, you know, he said, well, 
why didn't you just go to where he is? I said, I just parked here. You know, I, just, <laughs> I didn't have an answer. Right. But, you know, and, and it, it didn't make me mad or anything, but he had every right to go, what, you're in this part of town sitting here waiting. You're telling me that you've got a buddy that you're going to go get. So why don't you just go there? Something's not adding up. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking. I eventually convinced him. I said, you know, dude, I'm fixing to go right now. You know, you can follow me if you want to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, but looking back on it, he had, he had suspicion. So why would you be here? You don't fit in here. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I get that. And, and that's kind of what they're trained to do to sort of subvert whatever may happen because of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Am I, am I, on, am I on, yeah. on cue with yeah, that? Yeah, I think yeah. it's based out of protection, but I think that's where a lot of people get the rub on that. Yes. Because it's like, I shouldn't be questioned. If I'm innocent, if I'm not doing anything, why is a cop coming up to me questioning me at all? I think that's why a lot of younger people. And, right. And, and I'll now, tell you this, too. It's a, it's a generational difference, okay? Yeah. Um, if Kevin would have told that guy to go kick rocks, he's not breaking the law. He's just sitting in a parking lot eating a sandwich. All right. Okay. Well, that's kind of a butthead thing for you to say to me. But, yeah, okay, I'll leave. Go on about your day. And mm-hmm. cop get in and leave. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've gotten into is you get like, you know, 45, 55-year-old cops out here on the street. And next thing you know, they've got a cell phone on their face getting recorded, getting, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And, man, it's like, what do you say to that? Yeah, yeah They're taking a back bite. You've got uh, some little kid. Some little punk putting, you know, Facebook live on them and stuff. And, man, that guy don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And so, um, and so, yeah, you, you get some cops just, like, really, like, I don't I don't know what to do. But the cool thing is, you know, as time goes on, it's kind of like, uh, just do your job. Just kind of be yourself and everything's fine. You, you know? know, cops are like celebrities in a way, if you think about it. We kind of take away their humanity. You know, yes. like, the, they're a person that goes to work. Yeah, just like us. Yes, you know, but we we kind of take away like they're not even an individual. Like right. if you're a police, you're not even a person. You right. know what I mean? Like they kind of right. like LeBron James. Right. Like we don't even look at him as a human being. Right. Like he's just some kind of right. ethereal being or whatever. Yeah. And that's what and I, I learned was, riding with him. Yeah. Is that these guys are just they're just they're family men. They're trying to work stuff out. Right. And and sometimes they get on the job and they have a day where they just don't want to be bothered. Yeah. You know, but they've got that badge, and if if they see something that could potentially hurt somebody, like somebody in the middle of the road doing donuts when they shouldn't be, yeah, they cannot pass that up. They have to address it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of times, they just they're hoping they're hoping that they don't have to do a lot of paperwork. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I they, talk to this person and get them to go home. Yeah, I mean, really, kind of what's worse, it just. I mean, I think the worst thing that could happen is just inaction. Our police, yeah. something bad happening to somebody and them going, hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that like, like, that is the absolute worst thing that could happen is get a bunch of cops out here scared to death of getting sued or scared to death of this or scared to death of that. It's kind of throw your hands up like, well, hmm. what you wanted, Scooter? Well, good people you know? are affected by that demeanor. You know, like stuff gets missed, right? right. And, and those are the people that suffer right. in situations like oh, that. Uh, so let me ask you this: What if you had gone home from a shift, and the guy that you that you saw that you pulled over that you decided to let go, you found out later he killed killed somebody? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, man. There's no cop on earth, unless you're just a psychopath. Right. Of course. That wants to go home feeling that. That's right. Yeah. You know. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's the responsibility that they have. Well, it's just, you know, I was raised to have a respect for everybody. You know, police, whoever. Like, if unless somebody's just extremely belligerent out of the ordinary. Like, if somebody sure. respectfully says, sure. hey, can I see your ID? Just give me your ID. Yeah. Like, what? what is the harm in that? Just show it to them. Right. Like, this is who I am. You know, if it's a police or whatever, if it's somebody uh, that has that badge, just do it. I, right. I don't see the problem in doing that. I don't either. Mm-hmm. I don't either. But I think it's just a culture now. It's like everybody should leave me alone. Nobody should. But it's isolation. I kind of think it goes all goes back to that. We're just so isolated as a people now. Right. Like but nobody bother anybody. And the, the, the culture in law enforcement, man, is changing so quick, so yeah. quick. And, um, I kind of hate to say this. I don't, I don't feel like I'm kind of one of the older guys, but you know, I'm working with some guys that are in their twenties and just the methods in which they catch bad guys these days. I mean, it is so impressive. I mean, these young guys are there. They do such a good job. It's so impressive. Their use of technology for good versus just the good old fashioned way of doing stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, more kind of what I was brought up in, but it's mm. it's transitioned, and that I'm just pretty much old hat these days. Yeah. I mean, they, these kids out here now that's policing, man. They, I mean, it is. They do a lot, a lot of cool stuff. Well, like you just said, they talked about defund the police. Mm-hmm. I think it should be the opposite. We should be training these people how to subdue people correctly, how to take care of things correctly. Sure, you know, sure. if you take finances away from something, it deteriorates, right? Right. Uh, just the natural way of things. So I think funding the police rather than defunding, in my opinion, is is better, in my opinion. If you want to increase the quality of the police force. No doubt. Mm. No doubt. Yeah. You're absolutely spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap up the play. Thank you for your service again, man. Oh, that was awesome it. insight to everything. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you for your thoughts. So we're going to get to the drum line, man. We're already... Already over an hour into this thing. Flies by. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So drumline, man. So we already alluded to the best drumline was 2008, 2009 at Southside. <laughs> so I was uh, I was there from 06 to 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were there from what, 90? 90, 96 to 01. 96 mm-hmm. to 01. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin was both of our drum instructors. What was your experience in the drumline like? Starting in, uh, we'll say, or ninety uh, six. Oh man, it was it was fantastic. It was it was a lot of fun. I kind of came into it just having a good time. Um, play top bass, um, a lot of fun. It's really kind of where I cut my teeth. My eighth grade year, you know, just a regular, you know, fourteen year old idiot, you know, but having fun, like, like music, listen to Pearl Jam. Jam. You, you know, this kind of stuff, stuff, Creed and Bush and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Green oh, yeah. Day was all coming out. Green Day, yeah. Had a lot of good music. Had um, Dave Matthews and all that. All, all them guys were coming out back in, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s. So did I you play drum set before? Or I no? did. Like, I kind of transitioned into that, like, probably when I was a freshman, you know, and that I loved playing. So essentially what I do mm-hmm. is just um had a drum set at, at my mom's trailer and during the summer you know i was at home by myself you know man we're just smoking cigarettes and i got a stereo system in there that will just absolutely make your ears bleed yeah and so i just drum along <laughs> with the music it was it's fun i do it for hours yeah hours it was a lot a lot of fun mm. a lot of fun cool cool so drumline uh how did it impact your life would you say as a whole for me i've talked a lot about how it created that we had a lot of competitiveness in, in oh, our buddy. line and you'll uh, see a reference episode 22 
will be coming out. Uh, well, it'll already be out by the time this one's out. But we had a brotherhood there, but mm-hmm. we were competitive with each other. We fed off each other and all right. that. And it created that in me young. That right. like if I want to work, if I want to achieve something, if I want to be better, I have to do the work. Right. And so I think that's kind of what it taught me. Did it teach you a similar thing? No, uh, it did not. It was, uh, man, I was just mad and ticked off the whole time. You know, man, I just hated the fact of anybody being better than me. Yeah. Um, a lot of top A's in there. I mean, you know, Adam Swan was fantastic human being. I forgot he was drumline. Uh, oh that. yeah. Uh, Connie, she was. Want to get him on here? Oh, uh, he's a wonderful guy. Um, Connie was awesome, but you know, the other guys in the line. She had a lot of top A's, and the competitiveness was really like us against each other. Like, who who's the top dog? and Who's the top G? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I wanted to be the top G. You know what I'm saying? It, it, just being a teenager, competitive teenager, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But we were good. <laughs> had a fantastic line. You know, we went out there to uh, Rome, Georgia. No, it was no, we Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Jacksonville State. Beat, yeah. uh, Rome out yeah. there. Uh, you know, got best in show drums. I mean, that was a, man, that was a heck of a line we had. Um, it was good. A lot of fun. A lot of good memories. Um, but they it was mean. like Mean. They were all mean. I mean, we were at the point of like. And this was Constance, right? Uh, his senior year, Constance was a year ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. The, the line that Connie was in, we had some good lines, but his senior year is sort of where it amalgamed to where I had the right people in the right places and the chemistry was good. Probably the best bass line I ever had. Yeah, was a, a, a sensational bass line. Uh-huh. But we were, we were almost getting in fist fights. I mean, we, we took it. Everybody loved to drum. Mm. Everybody was passionate about drumming. Everybody wanted to be the best. We didn't. We wanted to be better than anybody else, but we also wanted to be better than each other. And I think your experiences was kind of like team. Like we practiced together, but we hated each other while we were doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because it's not good enough for me to have a good line. I just want you to know that I'm better than you. Okay, in every way. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it was just real. They did a lot more chopping out each other. They were trying to see who knew more, and uh, it was it was a little bit more difficult for me to to work on them to to uh, say to get them in the mode of okay, this is one unit that has to play together because they were all really good, um, you know. And just I'll take one of the stories: a young man in the line was Sally's. Sally Davis's uh, oh, yeah. brother, mm-hmm. Bob. <laughs> Bob wanted to play snare that year, and he had worked, and he was he was good. And that was uh, that book was I, I experimented a little more with that book, so it was a little right. different. The I, I did a little bit more syncopation with it, so it wasn't so cut and dry. So they really had to learn to listen to what the accents were doing because it was kind of off of what other things were going on. But anyway, mm-hmm. Bob wanted to be on that uh, wanted to be on that snare. And, uh, Zach was on top base, and they kind of battled each other. And so Bob wanted out. Zach was a fantastic player, but Bob wanted out. And uh, we got through the year, and Clark and them, they were so aggressive. Just And Bob, he he didn't lock in all the time, and, and they would uh, let him it well. have it. 
He's a good dude. And, and then, I mean, and Bob two years later was section leader in the alpha male of the line. Mm-hmm. But it was because of these guys that he really became that. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time that something happened and Bob took his sticks and just was going to hand them to Zach on the base and said, I can't do this anymore. Wow. But, you know, he eventually, you know, they were clean. God, they played well. But mean, dude, they were mean. But we had a, if we would have, practice i wish we would have practiced more with each other than we did individually because we individually practiced you know what i mean mm-hmm. like uh you know ryan and jamie and mm-hmm. them guys and stuff but um man it's a lot a lot of testosterone dude. yeah but i mean you you had uh him and ryan were in the same grade uh and then you had jamie who come in the next year and he was sectioned a lot and he was kind of like you he ruled that line with, mm-hmm. you know with a feet. he made sure that everything was supposed to and then the next year, Bob, Bob, Bob was the alpha male then, you know, and then you had, uh, Justin Daniel stepped up the next year. Oh, wow. You know, he was on, he was on base that year and yeah, he was, was Justin in the line when you were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. He was on base too, I think. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good kid. yeah, all those guys grew up in that and just really solidified the aggressiveness of how we played mm-hmm. until, um, until you guys came in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it was, uh, it's just a. It was just different back then in the late nineties. Yeah, that, I mean, everybody's just you, you had a lot of uh, frat boy bro type mindset of yeah. the youth back then. Yeah. Oh, it was just very aggressive. The music mm-hmm. was a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Oh, uh, Pearl Jam. Yeah. Yes, I mean, Even when you blow. got like yeah, and when you got like Nirvana kicking off and and but man, it was a lot of grunge. Yeah, and just, yeah grunge. That's you know, and I think uh, Metallica just put out their black album. So yeah. I mean, just a lot of just deep, heavy. You know, just all that new metal stuff and, had come out, and so that, that was mm, the thing. And mm. We were just pissed off all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I call it a brotherhood. <laughs> Would you call it that? Or no or doubt, no doubt. Look, I mean, we we fought like brothers. Mm. All right. I mean, I, I I see some of these guys at the gym in the mornings when I go, and um, we always look at each other like you know we knew what we had. You know what I mean? It, it it really was a brotherhood. It, it it really was. It was God Almighty. It was so competitive. Blake Mackey, like yes. the bottom base. Yeah, yep. yeah. Blake. That's right. I took dr- a drum set and uh, lessons from Blake. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Blake Blake turned out to be one of those guys. So when did you graduate? Twenty ten. Twenty ten. Okay. Two thousand nine was my last marching year. But yeah. Okay, I got you. Well, All right. yeah, that was um that that was a lot of fun. I just remember it being just super aggressive. But there were also times, you know, when we got along, and it was good, you know? <laughs> the celebration of what we did together was... Oh, that was huge. Was that was huge. When they, like, one of the crowning achievements was when they won best overall drum line at Jacksonville State Contest, which is difficult to do. There's a lot of good bands that come through there. Mm. And uh, that year was the first year I did um, that I wrote Halloween. What was the show? Uh, movie theme. Uh, oh, okay. We did uh, movie themes uh, from... Titanic, right? Solo, man, and drum solo. Murphy wanted me to do Halloween for the drum solo, so I wrote it from scratch. I wrote everything, and uh, man, I won't tell you what. I, I had band directors calling me, wanting me to give. Hey, I want to do Halloween. Can you give me a copy of what you wrote? Well, and and back then I just had it on paper, just written out. I I didn't have it on you know computer or anything. Mm-hmm. And it was it was so popular. I eventually just wrote it out on computer, and I've got it now to where. If, 
anybody ever wanted it, which I don't get many calls for it anymore. But <laughs> if anybody wanted it, they can, you know, they can get it. Mm-hmm. I remember we played, um, mm-hmm. uh, played Scottsboro at home, and um, they they played their show first, and they just kind of right there on the on the sideline, and their their drum lines right there at the fifty where we came in and did our snare solo, and I mean them kids' little jaws were dropping, and I was like. <laughs> get some dude yeah. you know it was it was a lot of fun is that show out on youtube is it anywhere no it's hard to find dude. Man, yeah. it's, it's yeah, pre. i had some uh, i had some files of us warming up we did a we did a whole bd roll thing you remember bd the stuff yeah. oh yeah but we did it like uh blue devils did it like we would you know we'd do this then this then this then this and then end it and that was our warm-up and it was we had a we did, we did a spree mm-hmm you know, yeah. it was just, it, it was, it was legit, man. There was one thing that I wanted to do that year that I never, I never could get it written for us to do. And it was a, uh, it was a cadence that I had talked about, uh, for a while, even flowed. You oh yeah. That? Oh yeah. And, uh, it was, it was hot, man, but I, we never did have time to look, to learn it. So, mm-hmm. but it's interesting though. Teams are different. Like we had more of a tighter knit approach but y'all had more of a always uh, anger yeah yeah, yeah. But, but they were both very effective that's and that right. just shows you it doesn't it doesn't have to go always like a team can be different but still be very effective sure mm-hmm. sure absolutely i mean mm-hmm. deep down we loved each other sure we did sure. Now, i mean i i told the guys like man i just really 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 do not like you all right um hate's a really strong word but i don't you just need to get out of my side, okay? This ain't going to go good. I mean, just crazy stuff. And it's probably because I wanted a cigarette. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? They, I were, they were mean, but I was I, I had them wound tight, too. You know, mm. it was a lot of the marauder get out there. and Really, sure. really good, good yeah. times. Really mm. good times. Love each and every one of them guys. You know, looking back on it, man, I'm, and I think every one of them would say the same. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think uh, coming together as a team is very important. But the competition, I will say, we talked about it episodes ago, uh, I wouldn't be who I am without it. Without having people that were better than me. Like you said, I'm going to be the best person in yeah. here. But there were people that were better than me. Yeah. So I had to be better. Same I had way. to work. That's you right. Know? And, and that's that's just such an important driver, I feel, in anything. It drove me insane. It drove me insane. Well, you were, on the, you were on the heels of, of uh, Swan and Connie. Kept you know? in, it, it kept me up at night that Adam yeah. Swan was better than me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, it, it did because I wanted to be the best. Mm-hmm. You know, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be a section leader. I didn't, you know, because man, I just want to lead from the front. I want, I want these other guys like, yes, you can do this. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And uh, man, that kept me up at night. Uh, Adam being, you know, but that's just a competitive edge and stuff. Out, you Swan. know, yeah. so that's all right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a real deal, man. I think uh, finding that, having that group of people, and then uh, being uh, motivated to be better. Oh, yeah. It's always the key, That man. seems like, I mean, that seems like eons ago now. Bringing okay. all this stuff. I've forgotten more I than I remember. I, I do tell you. I mean, it's been 20 years. But you marched, about, you said eighth grade base, right? Uh-huh. And then through the years, what did you march? Uh, snare. Fresh snare for four years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I wish I could have done that. Yeah. Kevin. <laughs> I was on base for three years. Was you really? Because we had, and it wasn't because I couldn't make it. I feel like pro- maybe freshman, I might not have been, but sophomore, I was for sure ready. But we just had so many guys ahead of me. We had that class. I was when I was a junior. The scene that was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Right. Um, we just had so many seniors ahead of me. Yeah. You know? And then one of the snares moved to tenors, and that opened a spot for me, and it all worked out. Yeah. And um, 
But yeah. But anyway, that is what pushed me. Because you're talking about driving yeah. you nuts. Yeah. I wanted to be snare in eighth grade. And yeah. Then I, then I didn't get it. And then I was like, I'm going to be snare freshman. I got to. No, I didn't get it. That's right. And then sophomore year, there's no way. I'm, I'm better than some of these guys. Oh, I already yeah. know I am. Oh, yeah. Still didn't get it. Ah. Because they're older, I guess, better. Whatever right. reason. Uh, but I really don't hold a grudge or anything. But I think that failure was so important. Failure you know? is the greatest motivator if you let it mm-hmm. or it can crush you or it can crush you if you let it that's right that's right that's mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean you know it's kind of like wd-40 man's water displacement 40th try <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh, never heard that one. oh yeah no i mean if you can't you know and that's that's what i try to do with my boys is just provide a safe place for them to fail mm-hmm. you know what i mean Failure is not That's a good. bad thing. A safe place to fail. Mm-hmm. They good. you they have to have that. Yeah, That's true. You know, I just never heard. They've got to like be able that. to screw up. Yeah. and learn from it. You know, experience is a great teacher. Right? That's what that's what I'm doing with my kid. You know, like if he's doing something, then I said you keep moving, keep going. We're already talking about family. Thank you for sharing the drumline stuff. We're going to segue into the final segment of family. Does being married, marrying as a man, change you? Yes. And explain. For the better. Um, well, let's see here. If my wife, if my wife is behind me in what I'm doing, I'm going to be so much better at it than if she wasn't. It's the, it's the strangest thing. So like, you know, I was trying out for the SWAT team, this kind of crap. And my wife's like, I don't know why you're out here killing yourself, you know, and you know, you're running and, working out all the time and this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. There's been times in my life where my wife's like, um, I was like, Hey, sweetheart, I gotta, I'm going to pull some overtime. Okay. When he's a little tired, I'm going to work a couple of, she's like, Clark, I'll be here. When you get home, you, you go out there and go make some, go make some money, honey. It, it'll be just fine. I'll have your breakfast ready for you in the morning. I'll, I'll be here for you. I'll be here when you get home, dude. You say something like that to me, I am freaking, I'm just like, yeah. you know what I mean? When my wife is behind me, um, I feel like I can do, there, there's nothing I can't do. And I don't, I don't know what that is. I can't, I can't explain that. Mm-hmm. I know she loves me. I know she respects me. Um, she's a good woman. We've been together since 2001. Um, but yeah, uh, being married is definitely definitely game changer definitely game changer she mm-hmm. motivates me mm-hmm. i think that respect is huge once you know you have that backing and that respect from one i think it's a it's a definitely a motivator no doubt For sure no doubt but there is some some sort of power when your wife says i'm, I'm with you, you know, mm-hmm. i'm here i'm with you i mean and I, there's another buddy of mine that i talked about when he says when his wife says that to him there is no stopping you Mm-hmm. There's absolutely, I don't know, I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. but it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Powerful stuff. Yeah. So having kids, uh, people say that changes you as well. It kind of makes you more assertive and going after different things and stuff like that. Do you feel like having kids changed you? Having kids changed me for the better because that's when I found out there are so many parallels between um, God and us that I can see through um, me and my kids. 
and it's it's almost limitless the mm-hmm. the parallels that you can see so like um you and i agree on the gospel of jesus christ correct mm-hmm. okay so i've got two boys and when i die and somebody else is living in my house and spending my money and i'm all forgotten and you know my boys are sitting there talking about me one day and they're like you know i think that wasn't dad it at Gaz and PD for 10 years? No, no, he's there for 13 years. Well, they disagree about things about me. What color my uniform was? What kind of cars I drove? What was my favorite football team? They'll disagree on things about me. Does that mean I'd love them any less? No, man, not at all. I mean, they, they know I'm their daddy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They know that I loved them. Uh, I know that they love me. I mean, I, there there's so many parallels that you can you can look into after you, you have kids, and it took me a little bit to kind of figure. Once you get over that immediate, like uh, total disarray and chaos of having a <laughs> having a baby, once you get over that, you, you start talking, and um, it'll it'll motivate you in ways that you never knew that you had. It's the best thing I like about me is being a dad, one hundred percent. It's the best thing ever. I called Clark when I knew that. Uh, I was going to be a dad. And uh, he said, he, he told me that exact thing. He said, Kevin, I know you're a spiritual person. You like reading the Bible. He said, you're really going to know what it is to be. You're going to understand that way more now since you're going to be a father. You're going to see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And it just enhances your spirituality and how God sees you now. And was he ever right? You know, that's kind of getting back to the beginning of what we talked about. At that point, he's teaching me, you know, mm-hmm. hey, this this is what you're fixing to experience. Well, I think the characteristics of God the Father, you know, humility, mm-hmm. uh, mercy, um, love, compassion, all that. You see, I'm sure you see that once you have a child. Absolutely. And the unconditional love there. No doubt about it. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. And, I mean, I can't help but think these are the motions that God put in us, Right. Um, if we want to understand kind of who God is, the grace and mercy and compassion that I show my boys um, is probably compounded by a factor of 500 billion <laughs> to what God does towards us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, every day is um, better than the one before it. I hate that they're growing up, you know. Um, I hate I hate it so much, but man, I'm telling you, it is. It is the best thing that ever happened to me is having my two boys. It's fantastic. And you want to talk about wanting to, um, it would absolutely crush me if my boys, I felt like my boys were somehow disappointed in me and something I said, something I did, um, you know, saw me with another woman at a bar or something. That would, you know, I'd never do anything to, to crush or make my boys think any less of them you know what i mean i mean that keeps mm-hmm. me that, that keeps me in check big time mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it goes it goes past ephesians 5 of loving your wife of going uh as god loves the church but now it's compounded with children and it's fantastic i can't say enough good about it mm-hmm. i mean i really can't I think marriage kind of puts you in that that high gear, but then having a child, no doubt, it's just it's just that extra gear, man, to to make you a better man. One hundred percent, it is. One hundred percent, it is. You know, you going back, you're going back, talking about being married. You know, man, I, me and Stephanie's always been, we've always been good. We've, I've always had a good marriage. 
All right. We, I mean, everybody says it's so cliche. I mean, everybody goes through little rough patches or whatever, but it wasn't until me and Stephanie started reading our Bibles together in the mornings and praying with each other in the mornings. We started that years ago. That That's when we had a great marriage. Okay. And the same is true with a relationship with your children. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they know if you'll open up and pray with them. I mean, nothing. Look, man, nothing says I love you than your wife praying for you mm-hmm. out loud in front of. Nothing says I love you more than that. Tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. That's about as intimate and as genuine as you can possibly get. Powerful. It, it really, really is. And you don't think I wouldn't, you know, moving heaven and earth to make her happy when she's sitting there praying for God to help me when, you know, any kind of mental issue I got or trouble at work or, you know, I mean, we've, I mean, we've had a lot of, a lot of ups and downs this past year, man. And having a wife that'll, you know, hold my hand, sit across the table from me in the mornings and pray for me. I mean, you gotta have it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I could, I mean, outside of that, I'm only going to be as happy as God's grace is going to allow me to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about it. And it's what I know to be factual. It's what I know to be true. So, I mean, if, if you're not, if you're not the spiritual, if you're not a husband and you're not the spiritual leader of your house, you're just over there practicing, dude. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you, know, you want to be a man, mm-hmm. you want to be a man, you put your big boy britches on, lead your, lead your family spiritually. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that's being a man. It's what God's called us to do. I'm a firm believer in it, man. Firm believer in it. And I am not good at it a lot of times. Um, Kind of awkward and weird, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, man, I try. It's hard to communicate um, the Bible to my children. It's kind of funny. So I'm like, hey, this is how it goes. You want to give you an example? Sure. All right, this, this, is how, this is how this works with kids in the Bible, all right, all right, for the Thompson boys, okay? It's like, um, so Jonah, he's a little, you know, goody two-shoes. I love that kid. He makes me smile, but he's like, yeah, Dad, you know, I uh, read my Bible today, read in Galatians chapter 1 and this kind of stuff. I'm like, man, awesome. What'd you read? And he'd got to go through and tell me and this kind of stuff. And, and uh, I'm like, hey, Noah. You know, he's 14. I mean, just puberty has slapped him in the face he don't even know where he's at half the time you know you know what i mean mm-hmm. just a good old four i mean sure spit. he is me at 14 all right mm-hmm. i know what he's thinking yeah i'm like hey son you know you, uh did you read your bible any today man you know it's like no nah, i didn't well i'm not gonna get him in trouble and make him do it or not. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's kind of a fine line there i don't want to punish him with it and i don't know what uh really kind of what to do with well, that i might resent it yeah, yeah, you I know what I mean? Some people, like it, uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. That, that kind of thing. So yeah. I asked him the next day, I'm like, hey, man, um, did you read anything today? No, no. It's like, okay. Well, it was like a Friday night, and we're up late, and I'm playing Madden with him, and he, um, I'm like, um, he's like, Dad, yes, yes. All right, look. Gets his Bible out, and he's like, look, Galatians chapter 2, okay? Hey, look, Dad. It ain't by works that we're saved, okay? It's by grace through faith, all right? Like mm-hmm. the works that they're doing in the ultimate works of the law, it's not getting us to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's not I that live, that Christ, but it's Christ who lives in me, Dad. That's what that means. And I underline it in my Bible, and I'm like, 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's not like it, it's not the same. I, I mean, I've got two brothers mm-hmm. who their approach is entirely different, but they both get it. You know what I mean? And sure. I, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know the right way to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know the right way to motivate them to want to. I mean, that's really kind of uh, the Holy Spirit's job, really. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, plant the seed, try to help them, at least set the example for them. Because they, they, they see me and their mother doing it. You know what I mean? Set the tone. That's huge. In a house, kind of, you know, give them a foundation to kind of something to look at. You know what I mean? But uh, what that looks like and how that ebbs and flows and stuff is, you know, we're still kind of working through that, you know, mm-hmm. but But I it's think funny. your mindset is there and you try. That's the key. Your, your intention uh, to raise your child well is there and you try yeah man you know I think yeah that's really the key it's not gonna be perfect it doesn't have to be no no it's it's definitely not perfect it mm-hmm. could do a lot a lot of things different i hear guys talk and um i'm like man what you guys are doing is awesome this is kind of how we do it and we're just weird over here you know what i mean yeah. but you know like you said you know i'm just doing something mm-hmm. better than action better than just like nah you know well kids don't know perfect they know uh that you care yeah, they they want to know that you care, that's right. and I think just the attempt. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's for any parent listener, whatever. Uh, the intentionality, uh, having that intention to care about your kids, to want them to succeed, to put yourself in their shoes, get to their level, like we talked about right. before, right? And say, "I'm here. Let's get through this together." I think that's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a it's been a wild ride, man. And I just I love every minute of it. Having kids is is fantastic. Yeah, you seem very passionate about it, man. Oh that's man, great. yeah, that's yeah. Great. I love them boys. Kevin, any thoughts? Uh, well, just you know, you, I, I've watched Clark through the years with, with Steffi and the boys, and you just man, he loves his family mm-hmm. first and foremost. He does a very, very good job of supporting them, teaching the boys, uh, you know, going through life with his wife and making good decisions and uh you know he's he's been an example to me for for some things and uh you know i, I watch that closely and uh bouncing ide- ideas off just you know i just i just keep hearing in my head a, a safe place to fail that that is that's profound to me right now mm-hmm. we'll write that down put it somewhere because <laughs> because that's that's so much more true than we think mm-hmm. um that failure is a such a great teacher uh you know it's necessary it's necessary but you you've got to also teach failure's gonna come don't be afraid of it don't mm-hmm. let it break you you keep moving ever how slow you keep or you're moving keep moving keep going that's right um you know and that's something that i've i've dealt with in my life um as long as you keep moving keeping the faith of what you're doing um, you know, the reward is there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the safe place to fail, that's, that's profound, man. Yep. I like that. It is profound. You talked about family and everything, uh, leadership, head of the family, being yeah, a leader and all that. Yep. Important to you. Yes. Very. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a, I don't know, something's kind of been on my heart here lately, um, is what we've got. We've got a bunch of, I mean, we got a bunch of guys that uh, even go to our church, man. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know. I know that, um, 
I think it's of the utmost importance. I don't think it's talked about. I don't think it's done. I don't think it's executed. Um, I don't think it's ex- executed in um, Western churches. I'm, I'm talking about like, um, you know, just kind of like your, uh, you know, your type A guys. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know why that this being pushed against mm-hmm. to, you know, lead their home spiritually. Um, I mean, I took a, took a bunch of guys and had them over at my house on Saturday mornings. We made on Saturday mornings at the house. And that's pretty much kind of the base of what we talk about. You, you know what I mean? Cause I mean, you got guys like, dude, I don't know how to do that. You know, you, you want me to read like start where, you know, just mm-hmm. really just kind of basics and fundamentals. You're I mean, talking about the Bible reading. Yeah. Bible. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Just well, you see that a lot in the, in the Baptist church i grew up baptist and talk mm-hmm. about it often but it's like let's get the numbers let's get everybody saved but what is then what, what does that look like after that yeah then what like, there's not a ton now some churches do a lot better than others but i've noticed that's kind of common after that it's like what do you do well you just mm-hmm. show up and you warm a church pew yep. and uh you go to church because that's uh that's what your wife wants you to do right. and your dad probably be mad at you if you didn't go yeah. or something like that you know what yeah. i mean and they're just kind of uh, you get kind of get stuck in this little lull, but there's not a lot of spiritual growth. And I just, I just feel compelled just to get some guys, uh, together, just kind of switch gears, bounce some stuff off, off of them, help them think, you know, help them work through some stuff. I mean, awesome guys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Guys that want to, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, um, man, I, I'm telling you what, when you get, um, when you get, when you get men, that when you get a church full of men who lead their home spiritually, um, you know, that's that's when you, you really start getting a lot of good revival, a lot of good spiritual growth, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I think by and large, um, based off what I've seen, just being in people's lives just th- throughout law enforcement, by and large, it's the woman that's the spiritual leader of the house. Mm-hmm. Well, your dad. Uh, Mark came on here and talked about people by uh, having home loans. Mm-hmm. Like the woman is the yeah. the main driver. That's right. You know, of buying a home. Like that's that blows my mind. Like I cannot even. Uh, I wasn't raised that way. I just no. can't. I can't understand that. I, I just can't either. understand that. I can't either. It's we've we've almost gone. What our society's done is like, man. You know, look. Fifty years ago, it was almost unheard of for women to work. If they did work, it's because they wanted to. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you know, a house costs about as much as a frosty and a small fry at Wendy's. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could go work at a furniture store and make a living, raise you three or four kids and stuff, and be all right. Come down here, work at Goodyear, and you'd be fine. And now it's kind of like if you want to have anything, your wife's got to work, and yeah. And now your uh, your husband's pulling, you know, double shifts and working sixty, seventy hours a week, and your wife's pulling up a lot of slack. Now we've asked them to go to work and cook and clean. You know what like I mean? Do all the wifely yes, duties, but yeah. then work full-time too. That, that, that's, that's right. crazy. Man, yeah. it's just wild. Yeah. And it's just a cultural shift that we've experienced. And I, I don't know how we, we get back to that. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how we get back to, to, um, I think the traditional roles Mm-hmm. That, that we had before in this country kind of worked kevin talks about roles often yeah. I, I think i think it works mm-hmm. um and I, I don't know how to get back to that other than just surround myself with guys that lead their home spiritually try to help other guys to lead their home spiritually and be men do you think it's important 
for the wife to stay at home? Um, look, this is an opinion. All right. This is an opinion. Um, yes, I think that in a perfect world, in a perfect world, my wife stayed at home for three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she wanted to go to work. Okay. She wanted a sense of that gave her, you know, some sure. bit of validation or whatever. And I respect that. All right. But, um, do I think it's important for a woman to stay at home? Absolutely. I'm actually in scripture, you know, I mean, you know, women are supposed to be wear modest apparel, keep be keepers of home, this kind of stuff, you know, I mean, I think like, why, why wouldn't they want to, you know what I'm saying? I mean, my gosh, to, to be a housewife is, is one of the most precious things, caring and nurturing children, you know, loving your husband, having a husband that loves you and takes care of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems so natural to me. Like, I mean, it, at my core, that that just seems the natural order of things. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I agree. But I think but people you, have gotten away from that because men haven't stepped up and done what they needed to do. No doubt. Right? Either they stepped no out or did whatever they wanted to do. And that's why women are like, ah, keep keep some money to yourself. That's Keepers right. Don't fully buy into the marriage process. That's Eat, right. You know, you know keep, just in case. That's right. Because you can't trust anybody and all that. And that's the way society has gone uh, it is. rather than buying in fully to the process, which is really a beautiful thing. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you more. I, I was listening to this guy and, um, well, I won't get off on that little tangent, but yeah, the, just the raw natural order of things. And I don't really know how to say that. I don't have a lot of big words, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Sure. You know what I mean? That, that just mm-hmm. seems natural to Clark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying just, I'm not saying keep your wife barefoot and pregnant exactly. and, and chained to the kitchen. Exactly. Right, that's not what I'm saying at but all. But I think a lot of people hear that. Well, they're like, yeah. you know, women need to be stay-at-home moms. They're like, oh, you want them just to do everything you no. say? No. That's not what, what we're no. saying. You know, there's just, there's a love there. Like, I want yes. her to be at peace. Yes. You know, build this home and all that. Well, it's, my wife uh, was at home for three years, and she was she was with our boys. Dude, I didn't worry about nothing. When yeah. I'm at work, I'm not worried about anything, number one. Number two, my wife's not worried about anything because I'm coming home. I'm bringing home the bacon. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It just worked. Yeah, it just worked so much, so much better. But um, no, I was eating beans and rice, man. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sacrifice went into that. But I think she wanted she wanted adult conversation, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with women working. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really don't. I don't think so. It's personal preference. It, yeah, some, no doubt. some women don't want to work and be, you know, but I think that conversation just needs to be had within the marriage for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think if you look back on it, I think um, as your as your children get older and you're running them to every practice, baseball, football practice in the world. All right. I think my wife right now would be like, you know what? Being a stay-at-home mom wouldn't be that bad of an idea. You know yeah. what I mean? Because we're like in panic mode, figuring out what to do with our kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've priced daycare lately. Yeah. All I had right. that conversation today, actually. So yeah, it's like more than a house payment, dude. Yeah. It's you crazy. Know? I mean, it's it's nuts, but... Just but yeah. to keep your spot. Yeah. Like, not even using it. Like And, and the snow days, you have to still pay. Oh, yeah. Even when they're not oh, there. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. It, it that's is. Crazy. It, it's nuts. But anyway. It's nuts um but yeah man that's that's how i think i don't think there's there's anything wrong with women working but i th- I think um i think there's a lot of good in just a traditional role um you know i think the the way it is that way and biblically is because it works yeah you know when done properly it works 
the traditional marriage works. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Yeah, and there's a reason it is that way. Um, but anyway, Kevin, your thoughts on uh, leadership in the home? We kind of got off on a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, first, let me say I am pro-choice for women working. Hundred percent. You know, if they want to work, do your thing. I do think instinctually, women love the idea of being home with their babies. Yeah. Uh, not all, but what I've seen in my experience, um, they would rather be home with them, making sure that that's the, it's such a powerful thing for a woman to become a mother. It is extraordinarily powerful, uh, especially when that baby is small. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a man, uh, being the leader of a home, just keeping it simple, I, I think we just have to be aware of it. I think a lot of guys work and they go home and they check out mm-hmm. because they're tired, whatever right. it is. Right. But there has to be uh, an intentionality with when you come home, what your role is, and how you how you present that to your family. You don't want to be abusive by any means. Mm-hmm. You need to be stern sometimes. Sometimes you just need to love. Sometimes you just need to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a, a difficult thing to do, I think, for a man to do it correctly. Yeah. Um, because you have to you have to take into consideration so many things. Mm-hmm. Kevin, to to your point, mm-hmm. um, every single day that I walk inside my home from work, every day, without fail, I set the tone for my house. Yeah. If I'm in a bad mood, mm-hmm. kids are kind of be a little. If I'm in a good mood, kids are more drawn. Everybody, every day that I walk through my door, mm-hmm. every day. I set the tone for that house. If Stephanie's having a hard time, she knows she can talk to me. Mm-hmm. We'll work through the problem. Everything will be all right. But if if I'm falling apart and busting at the seams, so's my house. Well, and there, there's a lot of truth to that because you know I'm, you know I'm a stepdad and a dad. Krista's a stepmom and a mom. And even like tonight, uh, you know the kids will go, "Where's Kevin?" Yeah. You know, they rely on mom more, but they've gotten used to, as long as Kevin's there in his chair, we're good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then just like with that, you know, I'll, I'll go upstairs and like, uh, you know, I'll shut the door on me and Crystal have our talk. We usually talk every day when we get home or first thing in the morning or at work or something, you know, we're, we're talking about things and negotiating and figuring out what we're going to do. And, and even Krista is just kind of a joke. She'll text me sometimes. I've been on the, podcast she'll tell you i need you here in your chair it just me being there in my chair (laughs) reading or watching or doing something that sets the tone for the house Mm -hmm. because if kevin's there in his chair there is a stability that everybody knows if i'm not there it's like something's off why 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 is this this way Mm -hmm. and it's not that it's not that i come in and make any demands or anything it's just i think it's nature i think it's how we're wired to mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. so well that safety and stability there mm-hmm. i think your kids feel that and yeah. they feel energy i'll say that you know oh, kids yeah. they don't necessarily even listen to what you say most right. of the time they're fi- they're seeing what you do right. in the energy you present and right. like you said you come home from work and you're not feeling the best they they feel that yeah. i'm not big on like there's 
like energy fields like oh my gosh do you sense this and all that but right. but people are attuned to that you know, and i think kids especially are very very sensitive to that um oh they know sure. they can feel it you know 80 percent of communication is nonverbal, man yeah you know it's maybe just not eye contact throwing you you know just throwing all your stuff on the counter walking straight back to your bedroom changing clothes not saying nothing to nobody man they feel that mm-hmm you know, but, you know, I told Crystal when we first got married, I said, I, I want our house to be a safe place. That's beautiful. Where all the kids know, I don't mind being home. Whoever's there, I don't mind it because it's safe. And I think we've done that. You know, mm-hmm. it, we kid now because my boys become a homebody. He said, Daddy, I just want to go home. That's why you want to go home, bud. I want to watch my shows and I just want to hang out. Mm-hmm. and the kids are like that they just want to go hang out do their but that's thing. a beautiful thing i think a lot of people even get in marriage they never have that conversation like mm-hmm. what do we want our home to feel like what do we want mm-hmm. our marriage to be like what do we want how do we want to raise our kids some of those conversations aren't even happening it's just yeah. like let's get married and, and just go through life randomly i think with that intentionality is very powerful yeah being intentional being aware thinking about these things uh, it, it that the leadership will just come from that mm-hmm yeah, well, I think just putting yourself there and making an attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where to start. Absolutely, you know, start mm-hmm. from there. That's it can right. be. It's probably gonna be really awkward. Like if it's something you've never done before and all that. But you'll just like anything, you'll refine the crafts. You'll figure out how you to will. navigate stuff. You'll and figure all it out. You'll figure mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. But you, you ain't gonna figure it out if you don't try. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but tempting is step one. Well, thank you for sharing, fellas. I think we're about to. Ra- we're about an uh, hour, 45 minutes in. It's been a good one. Wow. Oh, yeah. It's been a good, good one. Yeah, yeah it's going to be a good one. So I end with this. Kevin, uh, you are episode 11 and episode 22. If you want to check those out, I'm going to put those in the link in the description. <laughs> you can check them out both and hear Kevin's side of his 5, 10, 20-year plan. Clark, I'll ask you this. I ask everybody on the pod, 5, 10, 20 years from now. So how old are you now? I'm 41. 41. 46 years old. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing life looking like for you, dude? Mm. I see a kid graduating high school. See uh, college around the corner. Um, and we're looking at like ten years down the road. Let's see here, looking at uh, golly, mom, had to bring hard this to see about that. Fifty one. Yeah, we're talking about some grandkitties and stuff, man. Oh, uh, uh, I think when that happens, right there, man. Oh I my think gosh, the, you'll be intolerable. Uh, retirement bells are ringing. <laughs> You know, I'm going to be a uh, good Lord. I mean, if I'm still here, if I'm still living. I don't even know if we establish that you, what's your role is now. Like we talked about police force, but what what do you do now? I, I'm the chief investigator at the Edwall County District Attorney's Office. Right, right. So you put in time. Is that like a you get so much time in, you get retirement? How does that work? Yeah, that's right. So okay. it's, uh, you know, 25 year state retirement. You know, mm-hmm. I'll probably do 30. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd imagine. Um, I love where I'm at. I couldn't imagine like leaving my job right now is not even i ain't even thinking about that you know Mm -hmm. what i mean but i mean we're talking 10 12 years down the road got some grandkiddos um man i'm gonna absolutely pour into them kids i'm telling you what uh intolerable let me tell you something i didn't think my oldest son was gonna learn how to walk because i wouldn't put him down i mean i just love my family i love my kids yeah and um like you like we talked about before talking um those old good year guys that i talked to um they'd always tell me man i i love my children but there's just something different about them grandkids you know my my um the best friend i ever had was uh was my my mom's dad my granddad 
and um he was uh he's he's the best friend i ever had and i love that man i miss him every day he is he's the best man my wedding stand up dude he taught me um a lot of good character how to be a man he buddy he was he was fantastic and so i hope i hope i can um when the time comes for me to be a granddad i'd love to be the best man in one of my grandkids weddings you know what i mean mm-hmm. i'd, I'd love or be it be a groomsman in it you know and just um um i hope that my grandkids look at me like i looked at him and i'm gonna do everything i can to make sure that happens i'll tell you that mm-hmm. awesome man well said beautiful you know people say that uh having grandchildren it's like having children, but not the responsibility. That's right. Uh, you just get That's to enjoy right. it. It's all the fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure as a father, there's difficult moments, you know, oh, yeah. hard moments, and then there's the, the really good stuff. But with grandchildren, it's just all the good stuff. Oh, you just man. get to hang out and chill. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah so, you just get all the good. Yeah. yeah That's awesome. It. Awesome. So 20 years, did you say? Um, yeah. 61. That, I so right. you're talking about grandkids and all that? Oh, yeah. That's it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Clark, thank you for coming in. Kevin. For the third time, thank you for coming in again. Yeah, we know we're, we're going to have you in here a bunch, dude. Well, definitely, I know you enjoy it. I know you enjoy it. You're not going to get rid of me. Oh, definitely not. We don't want to, man. Uh, appreciate it. Guys, that is pretty much it. Thank you for watching the podcast, The Better Man with Dr. Jared Nelson. We are on YouTube. Like, comment, subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. You're going to get every single one of my videos, the shorts that come out all during the week. Very good content. Check it out. You're going to want to see it. We are on every single audio podcast streaming service. Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Give us that five-star rating because we give five-star service. Thanks for watching. Until the next one, peace.